Amen. Good morning. I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14, if you have a copy of God's Word, now's a great time to find it and to get to Luke, chapter 14. We're going to focus in on verses 25 through 35 this morning. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Fatherhood is underrated in our nation especially. Title of this message is The Cost, The Cost. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciple. Disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? I'm asking you, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Really? Go to church every other month? Wrong. A disciple follows Jesus and acts like Jesus. And so a one definition of a disciple is a personal follower of Jesus. One who accepts and assists the spreading of the teaching of Jesus, a follower or a learner of Jesus. Now, discipleship is intentionally taking the yoke of Jesus upon you and equipping believers with the Word of God to replicate other little Christ, followers of Jesus. So, you're about to see a, I would call this, a difficult passage you may say, no, this is not a difficult passage. This is easy peasy, man. This is, a, this is just, I heard this a hundred times, and, and it's just all gravy. Well, Fred, I, I want to tell you, for me, this is a difficult passage. And before we get to it, I, I want to encourage you. Can I do that just quickly? Sometimes you can get discouraged. If someone wants to think about the 12 disciples, those guys, they always just kind of encourage my heart. I've shared this one time other, but... Let's think about this motley crew, because this is the context. The main idea of this pastor about to read is Jesus is challenging people. He's he's talking to people who really are not those inside of the church, inside of the crew. He's not really talking to the elect here. He's talking to people who are a part of the crowd. They're not really a part of the crew. They're just coming for the show, just coming for the party, just to be curious about Jesus, but they're not committed to Jesus. And so he's inviting people to lay down their small plans and to become a true disciple. And so this has already happened for 12 guys, ordinary guys. Quickly, number one, Simon. He was impulsive and he was a coward. (laughs) Why is that encouraging? Because, I mean, he's like the chief disciple. I mean, that should encourage your heart when you think about your following of Jesus. Andrew, he had a lot to learn. They brought the bread and the fish. It was Andrew that says, what good are these for so many? James, son of Zebedee, well, he had anger issues. John, he was too too young to be used greatly by God. Philip, he was slow to recognize Jesus. Bartholomew, his name was entirely too long. Matthew, he was the most hated among men. He was a traitor 
to his own nation. They hated his stinking guts. When he walked by, he had on all the tax collector, he had it on his name tag, and they're like, oh, that guy, he's ripping me off on my taxes. Thomas, he was a pessimist. He was gloom and doom. He couldn't see the forest for the trees. James the lesser, well, he was just less. He was anonymous. He was nothing special. Simon the zealot, he was insane. He would just try to cut off a Gentile's ear or stab him with a knife. He was a Canaanite. Judas, called Thaddeus, son of James, he was more anonymous than James the lesser. In fact, he's barely mentioned in Scripture. He was just lesser than less. And then Judas Iscariot, well, we know about him, right? Ooh. He's a liar, the betrayer of the Lord Jesus, yet God still chose to use him. And then there was the last one, the fill-in, Matthias. Well, he was just a leftover. <laughs> he was just a leftover. He didn't get picked the first time. And so as we think about discipleship, we need to remember that discipleship, if we think about our own lives and ourselves, then our true picture of discipleship will get cloudy because the call to become a disciple is a call to die to yourself. So let's read the text. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. So who's he talking to? The large crowd, those who just came because they were curious. They just wanted to check out Jesus. They wanted to see something special. He looks at them. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we've already read the word cannot twice. It's interesting. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Wow. The main idea of this passage is that God is calling true disciples to transition from the crowd to the crew. God is calling those who are not disciples to count the costs to decide if they are going to truly become one of Jesus' disciples. Now, we see that 
Great crowds were accompanying him. Look at verse 25. You know the word great? It means great. It was a large crowd was following Jesus. We know that scholars tell us there were thousands upon thousands of people following Jesus around at any given time. Think about this. Thousands. The feeding of the 5,000, they just counted the men. They didn't even count the women and children and uh, mother-in-laws and all of them. They just counted the men. So there could have been 15,000, 25,000 people following Jesus around at any given time. And I think, where did they all use the restroom? Like, how did they eat? How did they manage? When there's large crowds, there's probably dust in the air and chaos. How do they even get to see Jesus with such large crowds? But this large crowd, Jesus turns and he has some words. And so then he shares these words that are difficult. Now, do you think these words are difficult when you read them? No, maybe. <clears throat> they are to me. And so I have to pull out my process. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have to pull out the hermeneutics to interpret God's word. Right? I have to step back. When I first read this, I'm thinking, whoa, man. <clears throat> this is crazy. You see, Jesus was a master teacher. He was a master teacher. He could take a plant and unfold amazing spiritual truths. He could see any situation and teach. And so he took advantage of this large crowd who, by the way, probably wasn't paying attention. They're probably whispering, okay, there's a large crowd. Uh, the McDonald's is going to be running low on hamburgers. We've got to get out of here early before the invitation. We've got to get to the grocery, okay? They're not paying attention they're just kind of, and Jesus all of a sudden grabs everybody's attention. And he says these words, he who does not hate, and then he lists off all of these family relationships. And all of a sudden, everybody that was talking and looking at the birds and talking about the news and everything, it came all to a screeching halt. And they said, wait, what? Hold up, Jesus. This does not line up with all of the other things that you have been teaching us. So basic interpretation of the Bible. Number one, when we come to difficult passage, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. We have to view a verse through the lens of other Scripture. And so, what does Jesus say about love and hate? Well, he has quite a few things to say. In fact, I'll give you a few. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, love your neighbor. Matthew chapter 19, verse 19, honor your father and mother. doesn't say to hate them. We love using that one at our house. Mark chapter 12, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, love your enemies. Wait, what? Who says that? Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. So this is some things that Jesus has to say about love. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So he loves the world enough. He loves fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, children, enough to give his own life for them. John chapter 11, verse 5 says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus loves families. He loves relationships. John 13, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if what? If you love each other, if you love one another. 
John chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So what is Jesus talking about? And he's got their attention now. So number one, we view Scripture through the lens of Scripture. Number two, context is key. Number two is we're interpreting a difficult passage. We have to think about what is the context? Who is, who is this, the verse about? Who are the characters? What's taking place? What had been going on the chapters previous? What is this book of the Bible about? What's the purpose for which God has sent it? What is the purpose of this verse? And in the context for this, it's very important. Because Jesus turns to the crowd, he's not really looking at his 12. He's looking at the masses, and he's letting them know, if you're going to follow me, there's a price you're going to have to pay. Context is key. Number three, we interpret to hear from God. We have the Word of God. It's useful. It teaches us. It does surgery on our hearts. It cuts deep. It's powerful. And it speaks. And so we don't interpret a verse, we don't learn great spiritual truths for the purpose of letting people know how smart we are. We don't find a, a gem in Scripture just to make us think that we're more spiritual. We read the text to hear from Almighty God. He has given us His Word to speak to us, and His Word is timeless, and His Word speaks to us about the culture, about our nation, about the nations, about people, about people made in the image of God. God has said a lot. And the problem with our nation is we have forsaken the Word of God. And number four, we read the text literally unless you have a good reason to believe that it's figurative. Because God does use symbolism. God does use all kinds of great ways to teach powerful truths. And so, but we read it as a literal unless we have a good reason to believe that the text is figurative. And a foundational key to biblical interpretation is leaning on the Spirit of God, trusting and believing Him to speak through the Word. That's key. You've got to be leaning on the Lord. You've got to be asking God to, to reveal His Word to your heart. So, when we first see this, cost, the condition to be a disciple, we need to see and know that God is not teaching us a new commandment to hate people. He's not teaching you how to hate your wife or husband. Some of you are like, oh man, I thought that's what he was teaching. He's not saying that. He is teaching us a new commandment to love people in our family less than we love God. Or better yet, to love God more than we love our family. So he gives some conditions to be a disciple. Here they are. Conditions to be a disciple of Jesus, number one. Place your relationship with Jesus above all other relationships. That's it. That's what he's asking us to do. Number one. You say, how's this flesh out in real life? Example. J. Hudson Taylor his mom and dad, his dad was a pastor. They were praying the little boy would become a missionary to China. All through middle school, high school, he's, praying, he's preparing. He, fall, he starts dating this girl, about 20 years old. There's sparks flying, romances in the air, they fall in love. But dude is set on going to China. He's commissioned by God, he's ready, he's going. One day she says this quote, Must you go to China? 
how much nicer it would be to stay here and serve the Lord at home. And she became his new ex-girlfriend. Kind of pumps me up. It's kind of cool. He's like, girl, I like you, I love you, but you're not going with me. And God blesses him. By the way, when God takes something away from your life, I believe when he says no, he's saying yes to something better every time. And so he brings Maria into his life. And there's sparks flying. In fact, it's more romantic than the other. And she's, oh, man, it's great. And Hudson's thinking, man, I'm so glad I left the other girl back, back at home. But because Hudson Taylor placed Jesus up here, I want to share something tragic. Age 33, his wife Maria died. Four of his eight children died before they reached the age of, age of 10. And those of you who have lost a child know how difficult that is. But he lost four before they reached the age of 10. You want the good news? Thousands upon thousands of people will be in heaven for all eternity because of the faithfulness of the Taylor family. Number two. So number one is place relationship with Jesus above all other relationships in our life. And number two, give up everything, even our own lives. Look at verse 26. At the end of it, he says, And yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The word therefore cannot means cannot. It's impossible. Cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to give it all up. And in case those in the crowd said, I misunderstood that. There was some goose flying over that was honking. And there was an 18-wheeler went down the interstate, and I missed that quote by Jesus. Guess what he does? In verse 33, he brings it up again. Look at verse 33. So therefore, any summary statement, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So just in case they missed it the first time, to be very clear, Jesus says it again. Give up everything, even our own lives. How's this flesh out in real life? I'm so glad you asked. In Sudan, forces from the Islamic government in the northern part of the African country, they frequently raid villages in the southern part, killing Christians, men capturing the women and children to be sold into slavery. More than 25,000 people, 25,000 people from the Nuba Mountains region alone have been kidnapped and sold into slavery, and yet nobody's marching for that. Today, there's more believers imprisoned in China than any other country in the world. And yet, most people in America do not care because our worldview is so limited and what we see is all around us and we think that America is the center of the universe and it's not, obviously. God is calling us to give up everything, even our own lives. And it sounds like a bad deal, but it's really sweet. Because, see, we give up our life. You think of baptism, picture of baptism. Jesus was placed underneath the water, and he came up. When we baptize, we often tell people in baptismal counseling, 
your life's about to be over. And they're always like, what? Your life's about to be over. The old you is dying, is gone. Buried with baptism. Buried with Christ. Buried in the tomb. And the good news is, the new you is on the rise. The new you is, is here. And that's good. So, oh, that's so sad. I really like the old me. Well, guess what? The new you is way better. The new you has a new heart, a new identity, and a new spirit to live inside. Give up everything. In the 20th century, 20th century, 1900 to 2000, it is estimated that there have been 100 million martyrs 100 million Christians died because of their faith in this Jesus. That is more than all 19 centuries before put together. 100 million give up everything, even our own lives. Number three, condition to be a disciple. So number one, place a relationship with family above all others. Number two, give up everything even our own lives, which means, by the way, not to trust in our own selves, even our own provision. We trust in God to provide for us to take care of us. He'll never let you go. Number three. Number three. Carry your cross. Look what he says in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot, there's the word again, cannot be my disciple. Now, this is not a pastor's words. This is not a denomination's words. This is the words of the Lord Jesus. He's speaking. And today, he's speaking to you. Maybe through the website. Maybe through Facebook. But he's speaking through his word via all other channels today. And he says this to us, whoever does not bear his own cross. You mean I have my own cross? I thought we could do that together as a church. Well, yes, we have a cross together we get to carry. But we all have a personal cross that God's calling you, if you're going to be his disciple, to take that cross up every day and to die to yourself and let Christ live his life through you. Carry your cross. Where's your cross at? Some people's cross is in the closet, and there's dirt on top of it, and there's like weeds growing on top of it. Some people have lost their cross. They don't even know where it is. They, just, they misplaced it years ago. And, and we don't like thinking about the cross because it's so powerful. The cross means that we cannot do it on our own. We needed a Savior. When we die to our flesh daily, we kill the impulses of that old nature, and we let Christ shine forth through us. Carry your cross. I mentioned China earlier. Probably going to get in trouble because I just said it, but some years ago, I, I've been there three times. I'm definitely going to get in trouble now, but I don't care. I may not, it's not looking like I'm going to get to go again, so might as well just say it. Back to Jerusalem missionaries, they were training over 100,000 of them, the underground church, to get to go to the Muslim nations in the, the, the 1040 window between China and Israel. That's the belief of the Chinese church believes that that's why they exist, to take the gospel from China 
to all these nations. And so we went, we had to put our shirts over our head and, crawl, and go up to the top of this apartment complex. And there they were, the back to Jerusalem missionaries. And they had to go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And I just remember being in awe. And they would mess up. And I'd say, what? It's okay. You did, it's okay that you, you messed up. And I'll never forget a 17-year-old girl looked at me and said, no, you don't understand. If I don't remember this text, if I don't remember the Word of God, if I get arrested, all of the Word of God that I'm going to have is what I memorize. That's all I'm going to have is what I memorize. And so they would say, we, you know, naive Americans, we, we need to pray for persecution to stop. And if you've ever met a Chinese believer, they, they all tell you, and all the pastors tell you, do not pray for the persecution to stop. The persecution is what made our church powerful. The persecution of the church is what has purified the church and made us very powerful on this earth. They would say, pray that God would give us a stronger back to endure it. Don't pray for a lighter cross. Pray for a stronger back. But in America, we have been brainwashed by our culture that anytime something is difficult, anytime it gets hard to do something else, that's not how it works when you follow Jesus. God's calling us to carry our cross. He didn't say it was going to be easy. Another example of how this, a practical way this can apply to our life. And sometimes it is. We lose our life, we're persecuted, lose our job, lose our friendships. One example of losing friendships was by a, a young girl named Emma. She was in student ministry at church. I was a student pastor. And Emma would always bring her Bible on Wednesday nights and she would take notes in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, she just always was dedicated to following the Lord. But her friends, I watched her over the years, her friends just treated her sometimes horribly. Like if there was a certain party that went on, they wouldn't invite Emma sometimes because of what Emma stood for. And so I watched her lose friends and her friends treat her bad. And so she had to, by following the Lord, she was taking up her cross. Have you ever lost a friend? Have you ever had somebody get mad at you because you chose to go God's way and they chose to go the world's way? This is very real. If you've never lost a friendship because of this, if you've never had somebody not like you because of your faith, I would say you need to back that train up to the station and check if you're following Jesus. Because in my experience, when you go with the Lord, people are going to hate you. When you do what's right, people are going to hate you. When you always talk about the name of Jesus out in public, people are going to look at you like you're strange. But they'll think about it later. And so young Emma, I watched her at ninth grade. We were at the campus of Mississippi College. And I remember her small group, Super Summer Camp, they put their hands on her and she just opened up that she just didn't have any friends that loved Jesus. And she just opened up and people prayed. I remember that group of believers praying, God, would you bring a friend into Emma's life that loves you and that will always just, man, just follow you and encourage Emma. And I watched just a few weeks later, God brought Sam, Samantha, into Emma's life. And those two walked with Jesus. She just happened to be in her same high school. And it was Sam and Emma. They walked together with the Lord. When nobody else followed Jesus, they were together and they could count on each other all the way through high school. And then God took them to college. And then all the way through their same college, they walked with the Lord. And last year we did Emma's wedding and she married Matt and they're, he's a rocket scientist. And so they moved to Huntsville and they're following Jesus. 
sometimes when you lose a friend because of your faith, God will give you a better one. It's going to be there for you through the thick and the thin. So young people, listen to me. If you lose a friendship because of your walk with Jesus, then they weren't really a good friend to begin with. And by the way, you need some friendships with people who do not know Jesus. If you're not, how are they ever going to find out about Jesus? Carry your cross. Where's your cross, my friend? Where is it? Is it in the closet? Is it in the car? Is it out in the woods? Did you throw it in the ocean? Go find your cross and carry it. You say, that thing's heavy. I don't like it. The TV preacher said I didn't have to carry it anymore. (laughs) No, but the Lord Jesus is saying today that if you don't carry it, it's impossible to follow him. And all the saints in heaven are saying, it's worth it because it's awesome up here on this side of it. It's worth it. Man, go find a big cross. Go find a big one that stinks and carry it for the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because he is worthy of the heaviest cross. He's worthy. Number four, condition to be a disciple. Following Jesus means that you take the great commission upon yourself. Following Jesus means that you make disciples. And I would say that you're never really a disciple until you have helped others become a disciple. Because that's what disciples do, right? That's what they do. That's what Jesus told them to do in the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses until the ends of the earth. You say, well, I need some more verses. Well, I'm so glad you asked. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. John 15, verse 18. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Mark chapter 1, verse 7. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You follow me, this is what we're going to do. We're going to catch people. All kinds of people. That's what you're going to do. You say, well, I don't really ever do that. You may want to check if you are a real disciple. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to whole creation, to the whole creation. Is that your life? Are you focused on getting the word out about the Lord Jesus, the gospel, the most precious news on the earth? So what's it going to cost you, my friend? Are you willing to pay the cost of becoming a disciple? Are you willing? Are you just part of the crowd? Just part of the crowd that shows up on Sundays and wants to look at Jesus and see if something exciting happens, curious about the things that Jesus said, but not really committed to Jesus. Today, you can transition. Today, you can transition 
from that crowd to the crew. And when you get inside the crew, oh, man, it's good. Because guess what? You can do something foolish and people still love you. (laughs) You can do something crazy, and they'll tell you you did something crazy, but you have that family that knows that, man, we're all forgiven by God's grace, and we've got your back, and we're there for you. That family that will encourage you when your heart's broken, that family that will encourage you to take up that cross, young people, whatever God calls you to do in your life, you have the family of God to, to cheer you on, to stand in your corner, to say, go, man, go with the Lord. Be different than this world. Love people, all kinds of people. Take up your cross. So now we're going to have an invitation. And if you're not really a disciple, then you can become one. You say, well, what do I need to do? Well, first, to become born again, to become a part of the family of God, you need to repent of lifestyle sin. Turn away from a life that's hell-bent on hell. That's, that's wrapped up in your way, in the world's way, and say, I, I, you know what? That's the way I've been going, but I want to turn away from that, and I want to go God's way. So first, you have to repent. Next, you have to place your faith in the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was perfect, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again on the third day, just as he claimed he would. That's the gospel. And he was a ransom for our sin. He paid the price, all of it, past sins, present sins, and future sins, all of it. The blood of Jesus is powerful and canceled out. And it's the solution for a sinful heart. Education is not the solution for a sinful heart. Socialism is not the cure for the sinful heart. Democracy is not the cure for a sinful heart. Jesus is the cure. The gospel is the cure for the lostness of man. And we have it. We have it because of what God did by sending his very own son to this earth to pay the way for us. If you're going to be a disciple, you've got to place your relationship with Jesus above all other relationships. You have to, number two, give up everything, even your own life. Number three, you have to carry your cross. And number four, you've got to make disciples and make disciples. Ball's in your court. Ball's in my court. Man, I have found lately, we have Sunday mornings together, and then I go home, and I come under conviction. And sometimes I've been going back and I'll watch the message from the Word and I'm like, man, I'm convicted. And I'll, God will speak something to me that I've totally missed. Because He speaks through His Word. He speaks through His Word, doesn't He? And He's speaking now. And we're about to have a response time. I have shared this story three times. And I'm not going to share a long story, but I just want to say, there's a young man that I knew by the name of Greg Gomez. He was a senior at Ole Miss, engineering major. He was like the president of like an organization of all the engineers in America, by the way. He was the top of his class. He was cream of the crop. He was the guy that all the girls wanted to date. He was the guy you wanted to hang out with. When you hung out with him, he wouldn't just tell you about himself. He just wanted to listen to you. I mean, this guy was, he was a chaplain of his fraternity. 
He was on the leadership team in the Baptist Student Ministries, freshman year to college. And he had this company. I believe it was Nestle. Big time, right? Big, big time. They offered him a sweet gig straight out of college, six digits salary. Straight out of college. They said, we want you to start in June. He said, I can't do it. What? He said, I can't do it. I signed up to go to Peru this summer on summer missions. And they're like, what? So he goes to Peru. Part of his job is to track down indigenous peoples who were separated from society and find ways to them and do research and find new roads. And, and so he was collecting data all summer. And there was a, another American partner. He had a, a, lady, a girl, and then he had a, a national translator. So it was two girls and a guy. They were all college students. And it was July, I believe it was right around the beginning of July. They were coming down a mountain, and the bus they were on ran into a cliff. And Greg never came home. And the world thought, what a waste. And you think about that. Man, why would God allow that to happen? In his sovereignty, who's sovereign over all things, why would God allow it to happen? Why would God allow that young 30-something, Maria, Hudson Taylor's bride, who's been faithful to follow Jesus, why would God allow that to happen? And I don't know. But I do know we can trust him. And I do know that Greg's mom and dad have given, this was in 2008, all the way since 2008, every year they still support financially to send college students to the nations to take the gospel to people who need to hear it to, to this day. In fact, I talked to Greg's mother last night. I looked her up on Facebook. You know, you can look people up nowadays. And uh, I told her, I said, thank you. Thank you. Because who carried the greatest cross with this situation was not Greg. I mean, he's in heaven. He's sipping Chick-fil-A milkshakes for all eternity. He's good. I mean, he's with the Lord. He's hanging out with Moses. He's hanging out with these ragtag disciples, and they're worshiping the Lord. It's good. They're at the great banquet. It's awesome. No more pain. No more drama. No more social media. It's good. <laughs> it's awesome. But Greg's mom and dad have had to carry the greatest cross in that situation. And I believe God's preparing something special for them. Because they raised their child to follow Jesus. What about you parents? Are you raising your kiddos to fear God and to love people? What about you, Grandpa? Are you, when you get time to be around your grandson, your granddaughter, do you try to point them to Jesus? They can make a lot of money. They can succeed in this life, and a lot of things that's not going to matter in eternity. But if you deposit spiritual truths into their life, it would be the greatest blessing you can do as a dad, as a grandpa, as a great-grandpa. Will you pay the cost today to become a disciple? I want to tell you, it's not a burden to follow Jesus. It's a privilege. He is good, and when you become a true disciple, you are the one that catches the blessing because you get to experience the Christ life 
letting God live his life through you. Father, we pray now as we respond. God, as you're here among your people, God, we believe that your word is inerrant, is infallible, is powerful. And God, we we believe that you choose to reveal your will to us through your word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray for those today who are lost, people that do not know you, people that are not true disciples. God, I pray that they would come under conviction. God, that they would be moved to be honest with you today. And God, that you'd save them by your grace. You'd grant them the gift of faith to let go of the things of this world and to grab onto you. And Father, for the believers here today, maybe that's sad, maybe that's confused about a situation in their life or in their family, God, we pray that they would recognize today that we all would recognize the Lord, you are worthy of the heaviest cross we can carry. God, we want our lives to count for eternity. God, we pray that you bless this moment. You give us wisdom. And you ultimately, God, that you would, you would gain much glory from it. We pray this in Jesus' name.